Welcome to a Kessler Foundation Spinal Cord Injury Grand Rounds podcast featuring Dr. Francisco Garano. This is a first in a two-part series on surgical interventions in people with spinal cord injury featuring speakers from the Institute for Advanced Reconstruction at the Plastic Surgery Center in Shrewsbury, New Jersey. This presentation was recorded and produced by Joan Bank Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation on Monday, October 16, 2017 at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in West Orange, New Jersey and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System, which is supported by a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, Rehabilitation Research, under grant number 90S15026. Nidler is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. As you heard, you know, I've been uh, in uh, practice and uh, and uh, uh, for many, many years, uh, and I have been doing all kinds of plastic surgery, from hand craniofacial microsurgery. But, you know, one of the topics that most uh, interested me was the the pressure source paraplegic, you know, what we can do for, for these patients. What we can do others than, uh, than uh, position of changing, what we can do other as surgeons for them. Something, you know, that is uh, outside uh, the, the classic uh, uh, schemes of treatment. So we all, uh, we all know the high rate of pressure sores and the recurrence rate, especially for ischial pressure sores in paraplegic and tetraplegic, and this is the main uh, problem we are uh, issue with. And we know, and this is an important slide because every surgical and uh, treatment that, that we do should be uh, uh, looking at the extrinsic factors, so how to relieve the pressures over the bony prominence, the ischemia tolerance, and especially, you know, according to that, the concept of cone of pressure, in fact, we all know that for a small ulcer on the surface, it will be a big ulcer on the bone deep. And this is because the muscle is more susceptible to ischemia and it will form an undermining with shearing forces. The intrinsic factors are the ones uh, that the, uh, that we try to treat medically with uh, infection control, uh, stabilizing nutrition, and uh, the uh, and and uh, uh, so the the four points that we try to uh, to to address is uh, to improve nutrition, uh, to change pressures. Uh, and uh, uh, to limit contraction and and spasticity. So from uh, the the classic point of view of a pressure source treatment, we always do the dressing changes, and uh, there are different kind of dressing we can use. Or uh, from the plastic point of view, we do the wound excision and flap closure once the wound is, uh, uh, is not dirty. So we did two uh, new things uh, in the treatment of pressure sores. And that's uh, something that I would like to focus uh, our talk on. One is to try to re the skin of the paraplegic buttocks. Uh, 
and this is done through an intercostal nerve transfer to the gluteal nerves. And this is something that Elkwood and, he, and our group has been done for three, four years. The other thing is uh, what I have done in the past, and especially in Rome, where I was in a paraplegic center for, for two, three years, and we have studied some kind of flaps that could be better used to, to address this cone of pressure uh, undermining uh, and to prevent the recurrence rate. So uh, I told you that Elkwood, what he did is to use uh, essentially in, uh, in three patients uh, uh, that were, were, were selecting according to the, to the general guidelines uh, of uh, uh, pressure selection. And he used it essentially the, uh, the sural nerve graft taken from the leg with a length of 40 centimeters. And he hooked up this sural graft that you can see here to the intercostal nerves. So we know that the intercostal nerves, they are weak donors for motors because they are small nerves, but for sensitivity, they are good motors. They are three out of five. So you isolate these nerves in the intercostal spaces, they are still working, and you hook it up and you tunnel subcutaneously to the buttocks and, uh, and the suture to the gluteal nerves. And these are the gluteal nerves we did the anastomosis on. And then we wait, you know, we, we know the, the growth rate of the nerves, and we follow the TNL signs and the, the EMG, uh, and then uh, we uh, get to a point where... And you can see Elkwood, this is Dr. Elkwood, that tests the sensation after several months in this patient uh, that was uh, not sensitive <laughs> before. So I don't know if you can hear his voice, but he is saying what kind of surgery he had with this sural nerve graft in between the intercostal nerves and the gluteal nerves, superior and inferior nerves. So, so this is something amazing, you know, this, uh, like if you think uh, with this surgery that is not a, a big surgical uh, uh, act, uh, we take the nerve and we hook it up from a nerve above and below. And these patients will feel, so they will not have recurrence when we do the flaps. That's a, a great achievement. Then you know, we can talk about what else we can do in the future, because if we are able to find a, a strong donor 
uh, a nerve like you know the rectus muscle nerve or uh, a, a higher root that is not involved we could potentially reinnervate the those muscles uh, and can give these patients also some kind of standing deambulation uh, too. Uh, so uh, th this was the the second concept that I have been working on, and and as you can see. I published uh, um, in the PRS, it's a good journal for plastic surgery, uh, is the concept of uh, cone of pressure. So how to treat uh, this patient following the algorithm that you can see. So, so first principle is we never do flaps uh, on dirty wounds. So we only do flaps when the cultures are, are negative. And we use fasciocutaneous flap that are big rotational flaps from the gluteus or from the posterior thigh. And these flaps are flaps that have been deepitalized and they will go to fill the depth of that space that has been causing by sharing forces. So we did this study dividing two groups. So the cone of pressure flap group that I told you, and the number two, 10 other patients that were treated conventionally. Uh, that means with skin just approximated without filling the gap in the pressure source. So that's what happened in a classic patient. You can see the pressure source that is not very big, but you can see the area of undermining sharing forces that is much wider than we see from, uh, from the outside. Then we open up, we debrid everything, we take out the, the bursa or infected tissue, and then we rotate these big flaps so we can reuse these flaps if something fails. We deepitalize the tip. What it means that this uh, uh, part of uh, the flap here that you see row, it has been taken out the superficial layer of the skin and the dermis is still there. So this defect will fill this cavity that the sharing forces has produced over the bone. And so we base this principle, we stuck uh, this deepitalized flap underneath uh, this undermine area, and we bolster means that we keep in place this flap in the groove so it cannot move for three, four weeks. Then we take it out, uh, the, the bolster users, and these patients will have uh, all the, the undermined space that is filled up with flap. So that means that if the patient has got spasm, if he cannot feel, there is no undermining, there are no sharing forces. So this is a part of the surgeries we use. The, the derma jet, and then this is a, a secondary or tertiary case we did in a patient that uh, lost the head of the femur for infection. We deep, we deep and then we stuck 
that uh, tip of the flap uh, under the undermine area. And this is a, a little bit long, but it's a surgical step, you know, that you can see the suture through the bolster and back in the groove and you and the suture on the bolster side. Okay. Okay. So essentially, uh, as I was telling you, we, di we divided in two groups, you know, the groups that were treated with the new kind of uh, concept of flap and with negative cultures showed that uh, they had uh, uh, much more, uh, much less recurrences compared to the other group. So that means that uh, in our group only 10% of patients had it recurrence and in the, the other group 66. So essentially again what I do is uh, I deepidalize the flap, means I take out the skin. I put uh, internal sutures with bolsters that brings essentially the flap up to this corner here. So it uh, obliterates any empty space that, that I have. So decreasing the sharing forces for muscle contraction that they can have. And so why we use the rotational flap? Because, you know, we can, if, the, if they fail, we can redo it on the same flap and we use very big flap. And never use like very small VY flaps or uh, transposition flaps. We cannot use them, you know, for the second time. So we burn bridges, right? So we calculated uh, which was the advantage of using this protocol. And you can see here, we have got like uh, uh, a great advantage financially in terms of recurrence rates. So we advise, you know, essentially two things in our protocols. One is these protocols of negative cultures, cop flap, uh, obliterating protocol of keeping the patients immobilized for four weeks and then sitting protocol, taking the suture uh, down. The second thing is to re-innervate the skin to make the patients feel uh, where they lay. The third step that I am still thinking about and I am talking with the partner and with a, a neurosurgeon is to find a motor nerve that is uh, strong and intact to do the same thing we do for sensation for motor. So I want to try to do the same surgery in acute phase in paraplegic so perhaps we can, you know, get great outcomes. Okay. Done. <laughs> <laughs> So questions? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, so, please. Uh, the gentleman who was in that first video, was that surgery was done back in 2010? Yeah, that was a, a patient with a, a follow-up, uh, I think in between two and three years. And then, have you followed up with him? Has there been any reoccurrence of a pressure ulcer? 
No, on the right side, no. Yeah. It's important also, you know, for the bladder, you know, if we can do something to let the patients feel the bladder filling up, that's a great achievement. Uh, there is a lot to do, uh, and, uh, and I'm glad that I can do it. Uh, as plastic surgeon generally, what they teach us is, uh, you know, paraplegic, they're not patients that are like a class B or class C, because, you know, you treat the wounds, uh, you do a flap, the flap fails, but it's wrong. That, that's wrong, and that's something that I saw many years ago in Rome. I was working in this center, and I thought, you know, we got to do something different. We we got to fight the causes. So I saw that they were fighting nutrition, position, spasm, optimizing the patient. But from from the flap point of view, I was thinking that there was something wrong. This this undermining. Uh, that was not corrected. Uh, uh, the sensation, you know, if we can get sensation, we have solved the problem. And then for your COP, what is the post-op care? Yeah, so the major thing is uh, to think about that flap that needs to stack down, right? It has to form scars, and you have this uh, undermined area, right? with a huge crater, right? That, and on the top, you see just a little opening, right? You gotta take this flap and stack it in there and keep it in there for a month. So for that month, the patient is not allowed to sit. So that's something you gotta tell them. You gotta tell this, I, I don't care if you can breathe well or not, you gotta help us. You cannot sit for four weeks and then we sit, we start the sitting protocol, right? We take the bolster out at three weeks, sitting protocol, and we will get it before they gotta know that until that wound is not clean, means culturally that is negative, we will not do the flaps. So you need a, a compliant patient that uh, understand what I, what you are doing, understand that you care about him or her, and help us. Your you look like your patients for procedure I mean, I use the classical ones, you know, I sit them up like for 15 minutes uh, 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 after four weeks and then I increment like uh, 30 minutes, one hour every week. That's the classic ones, you know, that's nothing, uh, uh, nothing special. Yes, yes, please. Uh, first, thank you very much. The, uh, the, the very uh, last slide, you were talking about, uh, it seemed like the motor nerve uh, with the sensory nerve as well as a prophylactic 
Yes. Yes, that's, you know, what we want, you know, we want to do one surgery and hopefully it will not come back, you know, again. Unfortunately, for these patients, you know, what happened is that they break down, especially the ischial ones, they've got a, a recurrence rate of 60-70%. So that means that you have got, uh, like, chronic infections, osteo, margoline ulcers, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, inability to live a normal life because they have got these open wounds that they are worried their whole life. And uh, so as quality of life, you want to do one surgery and it works. And they can move over. Right, so, right. so my question was, when you say proactively, not at the time of their initial Pressure injury surgery, not their initial plot, but even before they have a pressure or surgery. That would be ideal, yes. As uh, uh, also you know, the motor part that we are still st still studying, and it will be very hard to find this motor nerve that is actually a good nerve to hook it up. Because imagine, you can hook it up nerves everywhere, right? You can hook uh, up nerves in the spinal cord here. But you know, from the spinal cord to here, it's like 80 centimeters. So that means that it will take like two years for the nerve to come back. And those muscles, they are denervated. So also, if you do it right away, the muscle will not work. So you need a donor nerve that is lower than that, that can be, you know, the rectus, uh, rectus motors, uh, or some other roots that are not involved, but below, that will, uh, will give you the motor part, but it's not so far away. You had mentioned that having clean cultures was an important criterion yeah. for recommending the surgery for someone. What are some other things that you They are out from injury, their neurological stability. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I look at is compliance. If I see that, that a patient, you know, is a, a, a patient that I know that will not follow up, leave AMA, uh, all these kids that we, we see around, I say that's not, you know, the right patient to do anything. The, the guy clean him up put the vulvac on, and then he disappears for months. So also, if I do a flap, it will recall, for sure. Then, you know, all the other things, like, you know, uh, uh, like optimizing the patients uh, nutritionally, uh, infectious side, uh, uh, position, spasm, these are all important. Yes. I think it's exciting that you've gotten good results with this technique. Um, do you use it? Have you used it a lot? Yes. With a lot of patients? Yes. <laughs> do other surgeons use it too? Or only? No, because uh, the thing is that uh, 
they have been done some uh, some other papers uh, using this flap that are deepithelialized, but no one used it in a protocol like with uh, these cultures that are negative, and no one uh, used it using those bolsters. So there is who user uh, some sutures from the inside that we know that don't work because uh, they're not strong. Uh, there is who use some screws, so they take the flap, put the screws in, and screw the flap down in the bone. Really don't work well. So there are some other surgeons that do it, but a little bit different. I mean, you know, the more we do, the more we present. Well, you know, that's, uh, for me, you know, seeing so many people that work all together toward one goal, that means success. So for me, you know, if I can get involved with you guys in anything, you know, doing this advanced project, but also, you know, at basic level, I am available. So, thank you. I will have one comment. I mean, getting, getting people to do it in the early stages, good luck. Because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking about their injury road and the potential pressure also you'll get. And we, uh, here we have a lot of challenge doing studies like that. Yeah. You know, for example, uh, addressing bone loss that they may experience farther down. I know similar uh, plastic surgeons who do You are bringing up a, a, something that is extremely true. One of my teacher in hand surgery is Hausman, is in New York. He's the one I was talking. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I trained with him in in hand surgery for in 2005 and six at NYU and uh, and Sinai. And uh, essentially, he says that. Um, they call the patients arrive to do the, the, the tendon transfer very late. That's because, you know, you are afraid of losing what you have, right? But, you know, if what you lose then is uh, like motion, you know, passive range of motion, then, you know, you don't have many options. Well, thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> To learn more about our research, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That's www.kesslerfoundation.org.